Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to Molecule to Market. I'm your host, Roman Segal. In today's episode, we have a special events-themed episode where you're going to go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sectors, trade, conferences, events, networking, etc., etc. No part of the industry has probably been harder hit in the last 18 months than the trade events that we all typically enjoy meeting each other, having a drink together, maybe dinner, and obviously doing some business. So what I wanted to do was get some experts from the trade event side of things and kind of see how the pandemic had impacted them, but also what life's going to look like in the future when it comes to trade events. One of the questions I get asked very regularly at the minute is, hey, should we be planning for events next year? Should we be booking space and booths and all that type of thing? So it's a very tricky question to answer. So I figured it would be useful having some real experts on the show to kind of give you some insight and perspective that might help you guys in the various roles. I was uh, very fortunate to have three brilliant uh, guests uh, join me today. First of all was Tara Dougal, who's head of content and insights for Pharma at Informa Markets, which owns CPHI, Pharma Pack, and probably many of the events that you have been to. Next up was Ed McNara, whose day job is actually Vice President of Innovation Banking for Life Sciences at the Cambridge Trust, but he's also the co-founder of BioExchange that runs very successful events in New England, including kind of Massachusetts and New York and Cambridge and Boston and, and all that type of thing. And finally is Samuel Thangai, who is the co-founder of Life Science Integrates and its many events in bio, pharma, and medtech. I've been uh, fortunate enough to attend all the events or many of the events that are organized by the organizations that my three guests uh, represent, and hence I thought they would bring a fantastic perspective. So listen out for, which I thought was really interesting, like the impact on the organizations these guys represent must have been an incredibly difficult 18 months as they've had to pivot, go on a learning curve, digitize some of their business models, which is uh, you know, as you'll hear, required quite a lot of flexibility and, and adaptability, really scrappy kind of businesses in terms of being able to adapt. Uh, it was really interesting hearing some of the side effect benefits of virtual events and what what good has come out of you know going down that that route. I also, I think interestingly for you guys, a, a real look forward into what events are going to look like in the future and and more specifically how you guys should be thinking about and organizing and planning and approaching uh, your event calendar in 2022 and beyond. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it really makes my day when I see a, a positive rating on the App Store or any of the app platforms that you listen to Molecule to Market. So if you get two minutes today, please pop on there and leave a positive review and it will make me smile. Hope you enjoy today's episode and take care. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's great having you all here. So I'm going to start with Samuel first. Samuel, can you give our listener a bit of an overview of who you are, what you do, and you know some of the events that you're involved in? Sure, Aman. Um, thanks a lot. So um, I'm Samuel Thangaya, co-founder um, and executive director of Life Science Integrates. So we're essentially um, a life science conference producer. 
who've been in operation for just over 12 years. Um, we, I suppose our main ethos is bringing together senior leaders from across the life sciences sector, uh, including industry, academia, uh, government and regulators. Um, and our main sort of objective is to sort of set a, create a forum to explore, well, for these uh, folk to explore collaborations, uh, innovations and sustainable growth. Um, I'm responsible personally for producing and delivering the events um, with a key focus on speaker acquisition, um, sponsor, sponsor acquisition and uh, strategic event partners and also new product development. Um, in terms of the events themselves, um, we, we have five uh, main events um, and they are Pharma Integrates, Bio Integrates, MedTech Integrates and new for this year, Pharma Tech Integrates, which is in partnership with um, the MMIC, uh, the Medicines Manufacturing Innovation uh, Centre um, and Advanced Therapies Integrates in partnership with the Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult. Thanks, Samuel. Thanks for that introduction. And your and you, majority of your events are based in the UK. Is that correct? Correct. Great, great stuff. Thank you. And Tara, please can you give our listener a bit of an overview of you and uh, how you're involved in in events? Sure. Hi, Roman. Thanks for inviting me here. So um, I'm Tara Dougal. I'm the head of content and insights for the pharma portfolio at Informa Markets based in Amsterdam. Uh, so my remit here is to lead the strategy and execution for all of our global content offerings. So that's across several of our global events and also as part of our digital marketing services product offerings. The pharma portfolio at Informa comprises eight global events across two main brands. So that's CPHI and PharmaPack Europe. CPHI really brings together buyers and sellers of pharma ingredients, products, and solutions at pretty much every step of the supply chain. And PharmaPack is more specifically focused on drug delivery, machinery, and packaging segments, and is much more European in its nature. Thank you very much. And I'm sure every single one of our uh, listeners will be well aware of CPHI and the, the various events that Informa uh, is involved in. And, and last but certainly not least, Ed, it'd be great for you to just give our listeners a bit of an overview of you and, uh, and your background. Great. Thanks, Roman. Um, yeah, my name is Ed McNamara. I'm a vice president at Cambridge Trust. Uh, we're headquartered in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the US. Um, I'm the lead for life sciences on the team. Um, we provide uh, venture debt and early stage growth capital for life science companies. So kind of broad stroke from biotech drug discovery, all the way to med tech, med device, healthcare IT. Um, I'm also a co-founder of BioExchange and BioExchange is the one of the largest uh, networking groups uh, here uh, on the East Coast uh, in the US. And we provide free uh, networking opportunities for members in the life science community. Uh, main focus being on kind of the biotech drug discovery side. So we'll partner uh, and host different events where we'll try to uh, create panel discussions or different talks on kind of the topics of the day um, you know, affecting the industry. We'll also host uh, different events evolving around say venture capital or venture debt and, and how that uh, can be applied to the industry as well. So. Um, we've hosted events uh, primarily through New England and New York, and um, you know, pre-COVID, we were beginning to expand a little further in the U.S., and obviously that that caused a shift at that time. But 
Great. And we're going to come on to talk about that. And uh, well, it's great to have you all here. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons I was keen to get you three on is you not only represent different types of events, but also you kind of uh, span the geographies in terms of UK, US, and, and obviously Tara, your organization has events all over the place, but obviously you're based in Europe. So I suppose just to kind of <laughs> start with some emo- emotion, I'd love to get your kind of perspective on how you were impacted by COVID and and, and what you had to do in terms of pivot to kind of get through through that period. Because I think it'd be useful for our listener just to kind of understand some of the challenges that you guys have had to go through over the last 18 months. Tara, I'm going to, I'm going to start with you obviously as a, uh, with all the events that you guys do uh, as an informer and it'd be great to kind of get your, uh, <laughs> like a lens through how the last 18 months has been for you and your events. Yeah. So definitely as a kind of global exhibitions organizer, it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, our worldwide events, which is held in Europe, moves around Europe every year, typically brings together around 50,000 people. So obviously there are, huge challenges facing the whole of the exhibition industry and last year our first event to be affected by the pandemic was DPHI North America so that was due to be held in Philadelphia in May 2020 and was postponed and like many other events was eventually cancelled for 2020 so um, you know when that hit we decided to pivot quickly into doing some digital content for that, which was actually quite new to us at the time. We hadn't done a huge amount of webinars or anything like that before, but I guess one advantage of being in life science events during a pandemic is you have a lot to talk about. So we managed to um, roll out a series of webinars and hosted them during the week that the show was actually due to be held. So. That was really successful. It was really well well received. I mean, it's nothing like an exhibition, but it did allow us to have that engagement with our audience and to you know, show that we were doing something. We had a lot of sponsorship against those webinars as well, which also meant that we could meet some of the needs of our clients who were missing out on lead generation and visibility and all the benefits they would normally have from attending one of our events. So we felt that that was a good first foray into the world of digital. <laughs> And did that continue what you described there in terms of CPHI North American, how that went? And was that representative of how the rest of your events kind of uh, developed over the next 18 months or so? And I suspect you got better and better at the digital content and virtual event side of things as well as, as kind of time moved on. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that was kind of the first footstep into the digital world. And then later on, we pivoted into full scale digital, virtual, online events, Um, again, because we knew there was that need from our clients for people to be able to come together in in some kind of forum. But yeah, as you say, it was a huge, huge learning curve, particularly internally for the team. You know, that was new for us. We hadn't worked with these platforms before. It was a process of working out who were the best partners, which were the best tools to use, what was going to give kind of the best overall experience. So we did learn a huge amount during those those first months. And I feel like now we're pretty well equipped uh, in the digital space. So yeah, as difficult as it was, huge learning curve and definitely a lot of new skills gained from that time. Thank you for that. And, and Samuel, similar story for yourselves in terms of having to, to pivot towards digital content and virtual events? 
Yeah, absolutely, Roman. And uh, it's really interesting um, listening to Tara's account of um, how she uh, pivoted um, with their um, with their events. Because for us, we um, we we were not a, a digital content uh, kind of organisation, as you know. Um, and so we didn't immediately think to focus, or we didn't choose to focus on, say, webinars. What we did was immediately pivoted straight into sort of full-blown digital or virtual conferences um and and yeah that was that 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 was a challenge <laughs> um because you know we firstly we had to find um a suitable uh, suitable partners and a suitable platform that would give us you know what we consider to be you know high uh, digital production values and then once we were happy with that and the fact that we could roll out uh you know up to 15 50-minute panel sessions throughout the course of the day. We then um, had to try and understand how we could replicate face-to-face -face networking online. Um, and so we again we found a great platform and we felt it worked, it worked quite well. Um, obviously, you'll never replicate um, face-to-face networking. You just can't do that, I don't believe, online. Um, but it seemed to work okay. Um, and as as with uh, with Tara, you know, we 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 were launching one of our events, MedTech Integrates, in June. We had Bio Integrates in May, um, and then obviously Pharma Integrates in November. But yeah, I, th I think we went straight into into full blown digital conferences in exactly the same format, Roman, that you're you're used to at Pharma Integrates. Mm -hmm. Samuel, is there anything? No, let's let's assume life goes back to normal next year and we're back to in-person events. Is there anything from those, uh, I suppose, that learning curve that you went through that you're going to keep and that you that worked really, really well that you you might retain for, for the future? Or do you envisage a kind of, hey, we want to get back to in-person <laughs> events because it's much more fun? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The latter, Armand. Remind, you know, you, um, you as, as you as you rightly put, you know, I think we're all very, very keen to get back to um, in-person events, face-to-face -face events. Um, in terms of, you know, the energy and the networking and the, the whole sort of the whole buzz. Really, I don't think you can replicate mm -hmm. it. Um, but yes, there are certain elements that I see huge value in um, going forward uh, from what we've experienced with the with the online. Um, events um, and I think one of those is reach and um, the ability to get access really to, to great speakers because you know if you're not asking um, senior execs to travel or, or, or fly into somewhere and stay in hotels and they can just give up sort of an hour or 90 minutes of their time you know it opens up options and you can you know you can put together some tremendous um, panel discussions um, and as you rightly said you know we were more sort of UK focused whereas um, you know you can you can be, a, be be quite a bit wider and bring in a, a much larger international flavor so as, as well as appealing to um, a broader broader set of delegates as well. That's really interesting actually I never necessarily thought of it like that but obviously speakers that fly in and have to commit that time. It is a lot easier for them to say, "Yep, yeah, I can jump on and do a just you know a talk about X, Y, and Z for an hour." It makes their life a lot easier, unless they love 
the traveling and you know all that side of things and thanks for that samuel and and ed from a you know having having attended your events you know very great a bit like samuel's events in terms of a lot of buzz a lot of networking a lot of people in close contact and i think ed you and i bumped into each other at an outdoor event in the summer here in in cambridge which was which was weird, wasn't it, to actually just be out and about again? And it was. It's, it's uh, been a long time since we've had a hello and a handshake. Right? It so. was. It was, and we were able to jo- enjoy a beer together, which was which was wonderful. So your your events obviously are very networking specific. And did you guys just kind of just say, right, well, we're done with events until we get back to normal, or did you guys pivot into some some area uh, different? Areas? I mean, I I think you have to look back to the beginning of you know the the COVID breakout. So I think you know here. Um, at least in Massachusetts, everything kind of shut down in March the previous year. And I think the thought was, you know, hey, we're going to be shut down for a couple of months and then things will start to roll back to normal. And I think once we got to May and realized this isn't going away anytime soon, I think that's when we really had a kind of uh, shift and in, in, in look at, you know, options to go virtual uh, and go online. And I think, you know, most people, you know, at least for me, I was used to Zoom. You know, I've already... Um, through my, my work at Cambridge Trust, um, you know, we've done a lot of webinars and a lot of um, just kind of Zoom contact with our COIs and, and client base. So, you know, we, we had access to that and was able to kind of, you know, continue with that piece. But I think looking for a site that was more functional, that was really, uh, you know, it took us several months to land on what we felt was a good um, site for us to maintain BioExchange online. And, uh, you know, we probably tested at least a half dozen sites that we seriously considered. We probably looked at a dozen different and, you know, now it feels like there's a hundred different options out there. You know, there's so, so much has been developed or converted over the last two years. Um, but, you know, I feel that's, that's how we went for us. It was more important, um, not from a conference perspective to be able to deliver, um, that constant contact, but for us it was more the networking side of it and really giving people that access to kind of meet face to face and to be able to connect with people, um, you know, you know, through the networking event, you know, whether it's text capabilities or um, being able to connect uh, or kind of, you know, through LinkedIn or whatever it might be. Um, so just having those features and that easy accessibility um, to individuals, that's what was important to us. Uh, and, and that's how we've looked to move forward. So initially for us, it was, let's not worry about content. Let's just try to find an, an avenue that can connect people and get back to the basic networking itself to just connecting. Uh, and then after a few months of kind of working through that, we started introducing content again uh, and creating you know, panel discussions or talks uh, around scientific content and been able to expand there. And to you know, Samuel's point, I think for us, the benefit has been not only able to reach people regionally, which has been our target market's been kind of Boston to New York, um, but now internationally, you know, so if you come to one of our virtual events, there's people not only across the U.S. and Canada, but, you know, Europe, Asia as well. So, you know, pending the time zone differences, um, you know, we, we've done quite well expanding the brand and, um, you know, bringing in a lot of new, uh, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well done to all three of you for uh, get, not only getting through what must have been a difficult and challenging time for your organization, but kind of sounds like coming out of it stronger. Well, a quick follow-up question for you, Ed. I know you do a lot in the kind of uh, VC and investor community. I'm just curious to know, did, you know, you know, I see news all the time in, in this part of the world in Massachusetts of, you know, companies getting funding. It doesn't seem to stop. How did the funding side of things 
uh, impact or, or was there any impact or did it just all go to Zoom calls rather than face-to-face meetings? Yeah, I mean, everything shifted pretty quickly. You know, I think there was some nervousness the first few months. Um, you know, initially, you know, you were seeing bigger deals get done and a lot of the smaller deals you would usually see kind of, I think there was a delay there. Um, but a lot of these, a lot of these VCs are already funded, you know, and they had money to put to work. So that we never really saw that slow down. So, you know, from my network of, you know, venture capital, angel groups, private equity, um, you know, a, a lot of them were sitting on a lot of money and looking to put it to work. So I think for them, it was just figuring out, you know, how do we convert to a Zoom format or to an online format? And, um, you know, they were able to, you know, move full steam ahead. So I, I really, I think if you look at the numbers, there really is no slowdown. Um, you know, I think, I think we saw more larger deals get done last year as opposed uh, to smaller deals. But I think the same amount of money in 2020 was the same that we saw in, uh, in 2019, roughly dollar wise uh, here in the U.S. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it, it really hasn't slowed down, you know, from a uh, uh, this year, I think we're, we're even seeing more dollars or more capital put to work. And, um, you know, from my side of it, I, I, where the valuations, I think, is key, where I think the valuations are getting a little little out of control. And that's 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 what we're kind of watching now is, um, you know, uh, how are these companies being valued and, and, and where those dollars are going now? And we're seeing a shift there where um, valuations over the last couple of years have really jumped. And I don't know if that's effective of COVID and kind of the virtual environment or just the amount of dollars being uh, put into the market and, uh, you know, VCs kind of, uh, you know, fighting for their positioning. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I suppose the big question for you guys today and the one that I get asked all the time at the minute from from clients is you know what what will events look like in the future and will events be the same so i'm kind of going to ask you all to kind of get your crystal balls out and and look ahead into the future and and tara i'm going to i'm going to start with you from a a global event international event uh, you know i appreciate cphi and and pharma pack and the events you do are at, at different scales but what do you envisage the event calendar looking like uh, both next year and, and actually the year after as well? Yeah, so I, I don't think events will be the same in the future. And actually, I think that's a good thing because, you know, as an event professional, you don't want them to be the same. You want them to evolve and to shift and to adapt to what your clients and your audience need. And I think that we've had a lot of learnings from this period, which will really enable us to do that. Um, for the latter half of this year, we are committed to running what we're calling smart events, which is basically has a live and an online component. So we have PharmaPack running in Paris in person in October and CPHI Worldwide in November in Milan. But both have an online component as well. So all of our content is going to sit there. Um, it's going to enable people who perhaps can't travel or don't want to travel to still be able to network and access the content. So we're getting that reach that we've also spoken about a little bit um, during this call. And I think going forward, we are very committed to still having those smart events. So to making sure that there is an online and an in-person component to everything that we're doing in 2022. Because, you know, we have had a pretty good response to that overall. And as Samuel mentioned, you can get great speakers. 
Um, you bring in lots of interesting new audience members. We've actually just seen from running webinars and podcasts that we're seeing new people that perhaps have never been to a CPHI or PharmaPAC event before, but that's all coming in through the content. So we'll continue that throughout 2022 and, and leading with content is definitely one of our strengths, I think. It really brings people to the platform. Obviously they want to network, they want to have their meetings, they want to get business done, but content is a great talking point and is a real incentive, I think, to join an event. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Actually, just a clear theme coming from the conversation is that actually for all of your organizations, the pandemic on the face of it is is clearly been a bad thing. But at, at the same time, it's opened up new international markets and audiences for you guys to reach new people, which is a really a positive, I suppose, side effect of an otherwise uh, difficult situation. And and so thanks for that, Tara. And, and Samuel, for you, what are you, what are you kind of planning ahead for your events? For you know, And having attended your event, I'm a big fan of your events. And, you know, if I, uh, if I you know, come back for bio-integrator, pharma-integrator next year, what, what, what will that look like? No, absolutely. No, thanks. Um, thanks, Roman. And, and really sort of echoing um, Tara's comments there, you know, with a sort of smart events or as we we refer to them as, as hybrid events, um, we're absolutely planning on, um, you know, a face-to-face, a live component and a, and a strong uh, digital um, presence as well throughout the events. Um, it, yeah, it, it really does boil down to um, how the online how the online events um, have worked well in certain instances. And again, you know, be that on reach and, and, and the ease of speed or making speaker acquisition that much easier to attract the right sort of, you know, sort of higher quality speakers, if you like, um, in certain instances. And I think also with the, with the hybrid solution, what we found our audience, um, what they found quite useful was the accessibility of the um, recorded content. So, you know, all of the sessions and content being um, recorded. And we noticed um, a lot of sort of on-demand, um, uh, yeah, a lot of interest in, in the on-demand um, content being uh, viewed post-event. Um, and then we were able to sort of push that out further and create more opportunities for our audience and even sponsors too. So, so really, yeah, echoing um, Tara's comments. Mm-hmm. And before I come to Ed, I'm just going to, for Tara and Samuel, this, you know, someone like myself who has attended your events for, for many years and now obviously have the smart hybrid online option, is your preference still to get them physically to your events? I'm guessing that's still the preference. And I'm also curious about how you go about persuading people to, to do that. I mean, I mean, someone like myself, for example, I love the human contact. So I'm all in for, for, you know, for person events because I struggle with, with online events, but I am just curious to kind of how you guys go about persuading people, Hey, come and come to our events, you know, particularly, you know, obviously Tori, you've got CPHI Milan coming up and I'm sure there's safety concerns, which you know, well outside of your control, but yeah, I'm just curious how you go about, you know, attracting people and kind of making them feel like it's a worthwhile investment, but also that it's going to be safe as well. I'll let Tara go first, if that's okay. Yeah. So I think that it doesn't take a huge amount of persuasion. Maybe I think people are really desperate to get back (laughs) to live events. And that's some, that's actually a really nice learning from the past 
18 months because you know when it first started happening and we had all these new digital solutions i guess part of me was like is this going to in some way replace face-to-face -face? and and of course it doesn't it's refreshing to know that it doesn't and people really are eager to get back to the events but with so many people in different positions all over the world you know different rules different lockdowns still happening and, and a certain degree of uncertainty offering hybrid or smart events and that online component does give people the flexibility um, because you know aside from kind of government guidelines about travel of course companies have their own guidelines in place and, and there are personal preferences to take into account so we feel that by having that online component it does hopefully make it easier for a lot of our clients and our audience members to either be there in person but if they can't they're really not missing out they can meet people they can still get business done they can still interact with our content so we're just hoping that it's giving everyone a bit more flexibility as we're still kind of navigating pandemic and and the rollout of covid mm -hmm. and samuel any other take on that or similar similar perspective to, to tara no i think again um yeah from my perspective and from what we've experienced you know from our audience from there's a huge appetite uh, for most of, of, of these folk to get back to um, to live events. Um, and I suppose, you know, especially if, if you're more um, from supply side, you know, a, a lot of our audience are super keen um, to network face to face. Uh, however, those who are more interested in, in say, the, the content and the, and the discussions, then, you know, digital can, can also work for them um, and, and is very convenient and can be uh, you know, they can they can tune in for, say, you know, a couple of their sort of um, favorite uh, sessions of the day, if you like. And then they can choose to um, listen to or view a number of the other sessions over 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 the coming fortnight or so. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I don't think I think those that will want to attend face to face will there won't be much persuasion needed, as, as Dara said. <laughs> Um, and and there will still be a huge appetite for um, for the content, which can be you know they can access that digitally. So I think both both will work well. Mm -hmm. It is it's fascinating just hearing you guys speak because there's almost a a difference between those that come to the events for content and those who come to the event for contacts, if that makes sense. And uh, you know, I imagine a lot of people come for both reasons. But exactly what you guys said, you know, there's a big proportion that. To, you know, I'm going to come to Ed in a second. That will go to Ed's events because of the networking potential and actually just the face-to-face, -face, similar to to your events, as opposed to the content which they can pick up kind of later in at a later date. So, so Ed, on on that point and talking about networking face-to-face -face and where your events have had huge success in in the past, and you know, conscious of the fact you have an in-person event planned <laughs> in in the next month or so. So, how do you think? events will evolve next year and it, is, is it different to, to what Tara and Samuel are talking about from a particularly from an east coast pers perspective as well no I mean I think I think to their point earlier it's it's really designed on you know one content do you have if you have the content that's going to attract um, your core audience uh, and, and whatever that might be whether you're putting a uh, you know a program together to attract a c-suite um, whether you're putting a program together to attract, uh, you know, more bench scientists or 
uh, director level, um, then that's going to attract the people that want to be there for the networking, or that's going to attract more sponsors. Um, and depending on how that content's delivered, whether it's fully virtual, whether it's a hybrid model, you know, I think that's going to determine, um, you know, what that core audience is going to look like. So, you know, through BioExchange, uh, you know, for us, that's where we've looked at it is one for our core audience, how do we put together a program that can give them just that open networking that they're looking for? And we believe we found a platform that we've been happy with over the past year. Um, but two, now it's more kind of, you know, how do we switch to finding content that we can deliver to expand our reach and, um, you know, to get to get more of that core audience, um, you know, away from the business development side of things, but into more of the, the scientific side. And I, I think, you know, we've had, uh, you know, a couple of big events that have been very successful. We've had others that have been a little slower. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, you know, that's the trick is trying to find that, that right balance. Um, looking forward, I think it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think we're, you know, our plan is really to kind of continue with that hybrid model. Um, you know, certainly would love to get back to in-person and we're looking to do our first in-person event uh, in about a month at the end of September here. And, you know, right now it's, uh, you know, full steam ahead and we found our sponsors and um, we have our site and our content and everything, you know, ready to deliver. And, um, but it's also, you know, things could change in a couple of weeks. You know, there's a big holiday here in the U.S. coming up this weekend. And, um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks, we could have uh, just, you know, if there's a rise in COVID around here. They could shut us down and uh, force us just to go virtual. So I, I think that's what we're looking at is, you know, hopefully we can, you know, kick this off without it, without a hitch. Um, we have a couple of options for potentially doing something in person in October as well. Um, and then just really looking for, you know, forward to 2022, where if this works, then probably stay virtual through the winter. And then once the spring hits again, look to uh, start to do more, uh, more in-person events and, and, and hopefully get over the hump. But I think from the virtual standpoint, certainly we'll look to maintain this just because this has been able to give us a lot more reach um, and just, a, you know, a lot more flexibility with our, with our base. And, and Ed, on that point around, you know, the event coming up and do you almost plan your event with a virtual contingency just in case, if that makes sense? So you do, you're able to switch to virtual, you know, in case, you know. We, correct. Event, yeah, yeah. We, we, we are now. So what we've discussed is, you know, let's, let's plan the physical event. Um, if we have to cancel, you know, within say a week of it, we, we should know, um, and then we should be able to just easily convert to online. Uh, you know, obviously that negates the, you know, we'd have to go back to our, our suppliers for food and beverage and all that, that we've, we've planned around the event. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, the tricky part. But in regards to location and sponsorship and all that, you know, we feel that we have, a you know, that piece of it under control and we have a contingency plan to kind of go virtually online. And we've talked about maintaining, you know, for us, we do events monthly. Um, and usually we take uh, December and uh, July off and we, you know, we, we host events the other 10 months. And, and the plan going forward would be if we get back to where we can steadily have in-person events on a monthly basis, then do we want to maintain two events a month, do one virtually and then one in person. Uh, and, and, and that's what we've been discussing going forward is, is how do we maintain both? Um, the virtual side is pretty automatic now that you know we, we've kind of figured it out and it's easy to get a talk put together um that you know there's there's a lot of people here within our network that we can usually pull in and um 
So, you know, from that side of it, we feel that we, we can move pretty quickly with the virtual. It just takes a lot of planning when you're doing the in-person, you know, because there's a lot more moving parts. And that's, I think that's the harder part is putting a lot of effort into the planning. And then if those COVID numbers rise beyond a certain point, and then the state tells you, you can't do this anymore, or the local, you know, city or town tells you, you know, you know, we're, we're in a full mask mandate or we're in a, uh, you know, no large gatherings, then we have to shut that down rather quickly. And I think that's what we've been trying to plan on the last few months is if we need to shift, you know, are we ready to shift? And, and you know, just making sure we're talking not just with um, our community, but also the extended community of the, you know, cities, towns, uh, regulators there to make sure we're being compliant with, you know, what's taking place here in Massachusetts and New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really good to hear and, and credit to you all for, I suppose, demonstrating a real adaptability and uh, kind of ability to flex with, you know, things that are wildly outside of your control, but still deliver value to your audiences. So, you know, credit to you all from that perspective. And so I I have a a hypothesis and I'd love your take on this. It's probably completely, uh, you know, uh, false, but nevertheless, I'll I'll tell you what it is. And I'd I'd like your take on whether you think this could be the case. And and certainly what I've seen in the last six months here in the U.S. is, I've seen local events do really, really well and be very, very well attended. Ed, the, the one you and I are at is a great example of that, where it was an outdoor event and it was very well attended from what I saw and it was local to, to Massachusetts. And I, I could foresee for the next 12 months, maybe 18 months, local and regional events actually doing very well. So if you take Samuel where you are in the UK, there are no restrictions in the UK as far as I'm aware at the minute, which means that your events should kind of go ahead as per planned, you know, if it was happening next week, for example. The challenge I see, sorry, Tara, (laughs) is probably more from an international perspective. And certainly in the US, what I've seen is uh, a real resistance for international travel. So, you know, going to Milan for CPHI worldwide, where typically a lot of my US counterparts would, would go, there's a little bit of nervousness. And until things drastically change, there's obviously quarantine issues, there's getting in and out of Europe, there's various kind of laws that are changing. So my take is I expect local and regional events to potentially really thrive in the next 12 months and then international events to pick up after that, depending on COVID variants or or anything like that. Tara, tell me I'm completely wrong and the international events are going to (laughs) pick up, but that's my personal take just on the behavioral observations I've, I've made amongst not just myself, but my, uh, my network over the last six months or so. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a bit of a limbo year. So, you know, we're happy to be running an event. Uh, we understand that there might be some restrictions on people coming from, from abroad. Uh, but for worldwide, particularly CPHI Worldwide, which normally brings together around 160, 170 different nationalities, you know, the kind of value add for that event is that it is so international. It's literally the entire pharma industry under one roof. So we feel confident that will come back. It might not be this year, you know, in all its full glory, but let's hope that in the next couple of years that does come back. And even for some of our international events, which are more regionally focused. So we had CPHO North America recently, for example, obviously bringing together much more of a, a regional crowd, but it's still important to have international attendance at these events, particularly for kind of our industry needs. So in the interim, online or hybrid solutions are great. 
I still think long term people will be very happy to get back on planes and get back to face to face and the full glory of the international events that we know and love. <laughs> and and I hope for that day as well. I'm very sad, Tara, because I think this CPHI is the obviously last year didn't happen, but this is the first one I would miss in 15 years. So I'm devastated. <laughs> I won't be in Milan for a CPHI worldwide on this occasion. But thanks for your perspective. And and Ed and Samuel, do you guys do you feel well positioned? You know, assuming you know the next year or so in terms of local events and regional events, really. Um, thriving and actually to, to your point Samuel I think that people are desperate to get back to that face-to-face contact are you expecting you know a bumper a bumper year in 2022 Samuel in terms of your events and even events that you might have this year great question Roman and um, I'm absolutely expecting um, all of the events next year to um, to be popular in terms of the face-to-face element um, and as you know our events are local or, or, or more regional events as opposed to international um, however, you know, about 20% of our audience is still very much sort of, you know, European um, and, and a little bit of US as well. Um, I'm not sure how the international sort of attendees, you know, ha- how they may feel in terms of traveling and, and what the res- what restrictions will be in place at that time. Neither, of course, I mean, none of us um, can be aware of that right now. But I think that's where I'm you know, that's that's where I'm uh, I'm hoping that the hybrid solution will be able to cover off um, that piece and give those folk an opportunity to still engage with with the content um, and with the event. So I suppose we're trying to we're trying our best to um, to cover all angles there, Ramon. Yeah, no, that's good, and it sounds like you guys are are doing just that. And and Ed yourself, in terms of, are you expecting? You know, and I, I suspect your your event would be the most local or your the types of events that you do local in there i appreciate you now have an international reach which is fantastic but are you expecting a real desire to for people to attend and get back to normal especially in mass where we've got high vaccination rates and, and that type of thing i do and I, I think that's the key point here if you're looking at kind of the northeast here in the u.s there are high vaccination rates and i think that's giving a certain level of comfort where if you look at the the numbers around the country it's um you know, certainly it's it's kind of the best up here in the Northeast. And so, you know, we're starting to see events happen again. Um, the events we had, we've had and have any real issues. So I, I, I see that continuing and, you know, hopefully we can move forward with our events that we have planned for September and October and, um, you know, and then continue to plan, you know, going forward into next year. And I, I think we will be able to. Um, I think from a corporate perspective, you know, from my view, it's we've certainly pulled back from more, national and international um, attendees or, or sponsorships. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a wait and see kind of attitude right now is, well, let's let's just wait and see how things progress nationally and internationally um, before we commit from a Cambridge Trust perspective um, into, you know, one, attending, and then also two, potentially sponsoring or, or, or hosting a side event. And, um, and I think, you know, from bioexchange perspective as well, it's right now is we're just trying to relaunch here in Massachusetts um, before we look to expand more, uh, you know, regionally in New England or, you know, uh, New York, Mid-Atlantic. So I, I think that's kind of how we're, you know, everything, everybody's just kind of playing it by ear yeah. to see, uh, you know, how things unfold. And hopefully these few test events will be positive and we can expand that into, into 2022. 
And Ed, you've, you've already touched on my final question for, for you guys uh, as we kind of draw to a conclusion. How, how should companies and organizations be thinking about their events for 2022? Should they be playing it by ear? Should they be sponsoring, booking and committing? I'm, I'm really curious. And this is the kind of final question for you all. And I would I'd like also to take the opportunity to plug <laughs> your events as well. And, uh, you know, I always find event organizers, some of the best salespeople on the planet. So, um, I, you know, take this opportunity to not only answer the question on how companies should be thinking about it, but you give, uh, you know, give the audience a flavor for maybe why they should consider your event as well. And uh, I'll start with you, Samuel, and then to Tara, and then we'll, we'll end with Ed. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ramon. I mean, um, I think to answer that question, I think um, I think we're we're absolutely, um, you know, we're we're very confident about the hybrid um, solution and model going forward in 2022. Um, we are still um, imagining or envisaging um, about a, a 20 to 30 percent reduction in face-to-face -face attendees. That's what we're uh, planning for. Um, but we are also, I think the key for us is the ability to negotiate a certain degree of flexibility with our um, London venue providers um, and to have the opportunity to either be able to scale up the number of face-to-face -face attendees or down, as it may be. Um, and, and obviously, you know, in terms of increasing the number of online um, participants or attendees, well, that's just not an issue at all. So, you know, that we, we have that capability. But I think it, it, it really is about, um, about, about the hybrid solution for 2022 and the confidence that that can bring um, to, the, to the audience in that if restrictions were in place in, in, in certain areas uh, and certain geographies, well, then, you know, they've got an option to still engage with the event. So yeah, so that's what we're um, that's what we're 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 looking forward to, Ramon. So book ahead for the uh, life science integrates events, and if things don't go to plan from a face to face perspective, you have the safety net of the virtual option. Is that my that my understanding? Absolutely right. Yeah, you should get me on payroll to do your sales. <laughs> so, and and top. <laughs> Tara, yeah, we'll have to discuss. We'll discuss that afterwards. Well, high high commissions with these London hotels and <laughs> yeah. So Tara, um, similar for yourself in terms of you know how how companies should be thinking, and obviously your events, you know the big exhibitions, CPHI, the Pharma Pack that you know have huge costs associated with them for, for companies investing in booths and stands and that type of thing. And how are you guys telling your clients to think about the big events for next year? And, and is it similar to Samuel in terms of they've got that kind of virtual contingency just in case things don't go to plan? Absolutely. Yeah. To echo what Samuel said, you know, the virtual proposition definitely offers a bit of security, but also this year we've been building out kind of a suite of digital products, which aren't just limited to our events, but actually a part of our kind of 365 digital product suite. So what I would say to any of our clients is plan for the events. Perhaps you send a smaller team, but you have a presence there, but consider building out a whole annual program of lead generation and content assets. Um, we've seen great success over the past few months with supporting our clients in that way. 
so yeah i would say don't don't limit yourself with pure events anymore but you know go for a dual pronged attack um book some webinars book a podcast make sure you're getting leads online be part of the virtual experience as well as going to the event and hopefully that will uh, meet a lot of needs absolutely echo your uh view there tara i think that's a very sensible way for companies to be thinking about next year is having a, a hybrid perspective and in, in, in booking not just for specific events on the hope that they happen but actually thinking about things on a more evergreen regular basis i think that's a terrific piece of advice and ed it will finish with you in terms of you know companies planning for attending bio exchange next year and, and beyond and hopefully you can end today's interview and round table on a positive note <laughs> no pressure yeah no, no i mean i i am very positive about you know the direction of events going forward and i, I think you know with bio exchange um you know i think with companies and, and people looking to get back into networking i just think that's going to give you an opportunity to, to get back out there and trust that um, especially people within this market are are you know, are highly vaccinated, are highly thoughtful, um, and, you know, just trust that your, you know, the, your, your co-scientists and, and, and people in the industry are, are, are going to take precautions to make these events safe and effective. And, um, you know, and certainly um, to Tara and Samuel's point, you know, the virtual model is going to be there. So, you know, there is a lot of great content out there from a lot of different sources, um, virtually, um, and there's a lot of opportunity to network. So, um, whether you're not ready to make that in-person jump yet, then you know certainly look towards the virtual content. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there to continue your networking and to um, to build your network out. Uh, and you know, certainly look for those in-person events, whether it's uh, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff happening, and um, you know, so I think that's something just to kind of look forward to you know certainly that's you know from my perspective it's something i am looking forward to and some of the events that you know tara holds uh you know nationally and um certainly samuel from his regional perspective i I think that's where you know you you can find a lot of value is looking at the stuff um you know people are putting out there and so i think it's just you know being aware of what's available and, and taking full advantage of it well i think it's a terrific place to end our discussion and an optimistic look forward to to the year ahead and uh yeah and you know given the 18 months you've all had and that we've we've all had so i think i want to say a huge thank you to to ed and samuel and tara for being guests on this special event roundtable on molecule to market and i uh, hope you as the or listener have got value out of this and it's a huge huge question mark for next year of how you tackle events and approach events and hopefully the insights from my wonderful guests today will help you on that journey so thanks again to my guests samuel ed and tara hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.